Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. After years of patiently waiting and thinking about blends, Trillium released its spontaneous beer just before the holidays. Brewer and co-founder JC Tatro talks about the beer, the business, culinary inspirations, farming, and more. But first up, we're able to bring you this show every week thanks to these sponsors. This dry January, party on all month long with Athletic Brewing Company's great tasting non-alcoholic craft beer. Their full lineup of craft styles lets you drink up and stay dry while keeping things fresh. And with brews starting at only 50 calories, you can stick to your resolutions all while saying cheers. Join the party at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six packs or more. Plus, new customers can get 10% off with code BEEREDGE10. And we're also brought to you by NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. With a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations, the current day master growers proudly provide 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz, or you can find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd to learn more. For a brewery that's less than a decade old, it's been a hell of a ride for Trillium in Massachusetts. From a small cramped space near Boston's waterfront to now a growing roster of locations, including restaurants and a farm, the brewery has been celebrated and scrutinized, but always focused. This is most apparent in the beers themselves. Sure, there's the hazies and the big imperial stouts, but there's also beers that celebrate the agriculture around them or play with ingredients like wine grapes and honey. So that J.C. Tatro did a spontaneous blend in the Belgian tradition shouldn't be a surprise. That the beers are elegant and fun to drink shouldn't be a surprise either. These beers, as all of the growth, is deliberate and is a push towards a goal that's been coming more and more into focus over the years. Beers aside, J.C., who founded the brewery with his wife Esther, have also been trying to build a better beer community and culture, even recently hosting a symposium on best practices to eliminate the sexist undertones and overtones that have been in and around the beer space. We recorded this in mid-January, a week after Monster Energy Drinks bought the company behind Cigar City, Oscar Blues, Perrin, and others. And the sale of Bell towards the end of 2021 was still fresh in many minds. And so I started off by asking him if offers to sell ever arrived in his inbox. Here's our conversation. I don't know if it's been recently. There, they were, there were folks come, that came sniffing around, I don't know, maybe a few years ago. Um, and, you know, we you were always happy to get on a call and talk to people um, just because the craft brewing industry has been largely a kind of um, generally to, for Esther and I has been a largely welcoming and friendly place. Um, so we just, you know, it feels weird to say, no, I don't want to talk to you. So we, we do take the phone call um, and we're happy to kind of sh- talk to them and show them, not show them, but describe to them how we came to be and how we operate now. And usually towards the end of that, 10 minute or so conversation, they realize they don't really have anything to offer us or um, could see that there's not something that um, we, we would gain from um, selling the brewery. 
Um, and it's never been our intention and, and still isn't our intention to, to sell Trillium. This, we started it to, to, to kind of build a community and to build a life for Esther and, I, and our family. Um, and that has only grown and strengthened in the time that we've been operating. So in the last two years now, we're coming up on two years since the pandemic really sort of hit our shores and have been, been, been impacting. You talk about building a community. Um, how has that been impacted? Well, I think what kind of, like for a lot of things, it's, it's put, it's put a lot of projects or ideas that we've had on hold or pause or just change the way, um, we're able to execute them in the near term. Um, boy, we, we've, it's really kind of grown and expanded as we, as we've grown the team and to understand, um, the perspective of others and kind of reaching out into the community and having more conversations with, with different folks that we wouldn't normally, um, have the occasion to talk to. So that's, that's, that expanding process um, has happened. And it's just like an overall maturation of the industry. And it's no longer a community. The, the idea of kind of welcoming a community is no longer opening a place, opening your doors and seeing who might come in. Um, it's making sure that you, uh, you, you're doing things that people can see as, as being warm and welcoming and being very specific about that. That's that's an important thing. Now, as actual engagements and, and those kinds of things, um, you know, women in the in the in the workplace and understanding um, what harassment means and what what um, the average white guy and what his his role might be in in all of this. Um, having those, having certainly like you know, broader company communications go out is an important thing. Um, yeah. But having human one on one conversations has been. Um, very much another and super important and um, listening and understanding um, has been something that's picked up a ton, not just within our own walls, but within um, some of our customer base and to some of our friends um, and just some, some new, new folks that we've met within the industry too. Um, and really kind of breaking down the walls of understanding that, you know, craft brewing and, you know, now we're blurring the lines into, into restaurants and hospitality yeah. and, you know, when, when we had our, um, when Esther had her, uh, her, her group here of various folks across, um, a bunch of different industries and, uh, professional professionals within the legal and HR setting, um, to discuss, uh, openness and harassment and within the work workplace here, we invited a ton of our kind of like, you know, peripheral vendors, our, some of our law firms and real estate folks and banks and those kinds of people came in to understand because you know what, we're all part of the community. We're all, we're, we're all um, going through the same kind of human experience in our, in our different settings. And yeah. we learned as much from them as they learned uh, from their experience here. And it sort of re-inspired um, everybody to, to feel good about having an actionable plan about how to make things better and just having, more front of mind conscious awareness of what what their role might be and not oh i i feel this way so that's that my work is done here so um which it very much is not yeah um do, do you think it's working H have you seen signs that these conversations are actually starting to sprout some some roots 
Well, I, I you know, the, the, is the, is it working question is it's always going to be two steps forward, one step back. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, we're all, we're all flawed and we're all fallible. So, um, is it going to be, um, there's, there's no, there's no switch to flip because it already would have been flipped a long time ago. Um, I think, I think that these changes are, um, unfortunately, uh, way slower and maybe multi-generational mm-hmm. than, um, what we wish they could be. Um, but it does, it does to me feel like we're going in the right direction. I mean, the conversations that we have with our kids are not even close to what I had with my parents or Esther had with her parents. Yeah. Same. I think, I think that there's, it just takes, you know, we're, <laughs> we're all going through the human experience. It's just going to take time for those kinds of things to, to, to kind of take root during people's formative years and, and have their values formed or evolved or changed. It, it just is going to take some time. And um, knowing that w- what kind of pretexts are we going to set up within our own organization to make sure that we are, um, that we're, very upfront and set clear expectations for people who join the team or for guests who come to visit us, um, what their experience is going to be here. And when, if, and when things fall outside of, um, of those parameters, we've got a predetermined approach and how to, how to handle that. And that has been, um, you know, having, like I said, having that actual plan, it's also, this all sounds very kind of parochial, parochial and protocol oriented, but if you're, if you're not prepared for when things happen, um, that fall outside of what your community standards are, yeah. then, then you're, you failed as a leader. So we spent a lot of heck of a lot of time and energy making sure that we've got all those, those kinds of things in place. And that's for inside of your walls. But I, I, I've been talking with a lot of folks because it, it, it sounds like there are the right moves and the right conversations happening at a lot of places um, internally, but then there's the customer experience and then there's customer expectations of, you know, showing up and standing in line for beer and basically just being good, decent humans. Um, have, Have you thought much on a brewery's role or a brewery's ability to, communicate like i i don't even know if it's if, if it's like your expectations if it's consumer expectations but obviously you want people to you know who are lining up for your beer to be good humans um it, is that a conversation you're having is that yeah, something I, you're thinking about i think it's an interesting way to to uh, to frame it as well um i think that i think that there's a little bit of good <laughs> in everybody, hopefully. I um, hope so. And, and hopefully, people are on some kind of path to to kind of getting better as as they evolve and grow. Um, so I don't know that there's necessarily a designation, except for you know some clear clear definitions of what it means to be a sociopath. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know that there's exactly a clear. You know, people make mistakes, and there's there's not it's not an appropriate thing to just brand somebody permanently as a bad person or to, to kind of um, um, put somebody up on a pedestal and say, Oh, that's, that, that's a clear, that's a great example of a good person that only does good. Um, I think that's a dangerous mindset to be in. I think uh, having a perspective of um, the need for forgiveness uh, or the ability to, to think that way is, 
is a hugely important thing. So, you know, kind of like permanently branding, branding somebody as a pariah is a little bit much. However, um, making, making things, uh, taking action when there's not good things happening is important for everybody else who may be uh, impacted by those kinds of actions and to make it, make that person understand that what they've done, whether they, whether intentional or not, or at least front of mind or not is, is a behavior that's not to be tolerated. And you know what, hopefully that makes that person stop, reflect, and think twice about becoming a better person. Yeah. Um, you mentioned before, uh, you know, it's not with expansion and everything that you you've had going on in the last couple of years. It's not enough to just sort of open up the doors and see might uh, who might come, um, who might come in. <clears throat> when you first opened up the the, the small little brewery, um, did you have an idea of who might show up, or was that the last time you could actually just open a door and hope for the best? Yeah, I mean, the, Jesus, that's like a what feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> I mean, it's not been it's not been ten years, but it it almost seems like that happened to somebody else at this point. It's 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 getting a little hard to remember what, what my mind state was like. I had two young kids. By young, I mean you know, Elena was six months old, I think, and Luke yeah. was about two years old. I, I'm working a full time job that included one to two weeks of international travel. Um, a month and we were building a brewery, hiring a team, setting up pro. I mean, I was pretty crispy at that point. <laughs> what I, what, what, what I, what I was hoping for um, was that the, the local community who people, folk, folks who lived and worked in Fort point, were going to hopefully show up and buy enough beer so that we could make another batch. Um, and that, that was the first bar of success that I could, hope for and really truly had the all that was all the energy i had to even really think about now fast forward to today that that perspective of you know what kind of work should we be doing to to make sure that anybody and everybody feel not only feels but knows that they're welcome when they come in our doors that's a that's a different perspective and um something that we've certainly built on since those first few days where you are now versus where you are then when it comes to the beers that you're putting out, is this where you want it to be? Yeah. I mean, when you look at your overall portfolio. Yeah. It's so cool. When, when we first started, you know, even in the first um, boy, in the first few months and in, in terms of like what we thought we w- would be able to make one day into where we are is, is really, really crazy. So, you know, we started, it sounds kind of silly. Now we started with two 10 barrel fermenters and like, that's <laughs> that was all that was all the money that we had that we could that we could afford um we we, we planned to start with six 10 barrel fermenters but we had to cut our budget and, and scale that back to two because we it, the opening took so long and we were just bleeding money through with rent and and um employee paychecks and just like ran out of money and to 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 where we are today with multiple breweries um you know i was gonna say do, do you have any idea what you're your seller capacity is these days? Not, not off the top of my head. No. Okay. <laughs> you know, but any, you know, batch size is anywhere from one barrel up to 135 barrels. Um, and then spanning all, all different 
styles and categories, um, kind of more accurate historical representations of, of beers to modern interpretations um, or even quote unquote new styles of beer. Um, that's kind of what Esther and I had dreamed about when we uh, we thought about Trillium being a, a modern uh, New England farmhouse inspired brewery. Um, you know, everything from um, uh, more traditional lagers all the way through these incredible double barrel aged, you know, use of real culinary ingredient stouts um, through traditional spontaneous um, kind of goose inspired three-year blends yeah. that we're now able to come through today. It's, it's a, it's, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of, of, of beer and, and everything that it, it was and is today and, and can be into the future. So um, to apply that lens of modern New England farmhouse to, to everything that we do is, is, um, is such a, it's like a dream come true. And still, I'm still a home brewer at heart. So, I'm so interested and excited by all these different things. Um, and that's what we're able to actually do today. And it's, 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 uh, it's a little bit like winning the lottery, John. <laughs> <laughs> when you talk to people, when you talk to, to, to customers, talk to, talk to drinkers and beer fans, um, is there a uniform thread as to, what they think your brewery is because you just described, you know, like a, a modern new England farmhouse, but then, you know, you're getting into pastry sounds. You're talking about uh, IPAs. You're, you're talking about uh, spontaneous, like there's so many different spokes in the wheel of the brewery. Um, are there, is there like a Venn diagram of brewery customers, brewery fans um, that, you know, trilliums in the middle, but, they're all coming in for something else or is there one uniform thread that sort of brings people in? Uh, I think it's um, it, there is a Venn diagram and what the, where that overlap comes in, it's, it's everybody's here for what they're, what they're seeking. You know, it sounds, it sounds like, Oh, that's a painfully obvious statement. Um, but I think that people really love the, the variety and that there is going to be something for every, everybody in your group. Um, and that to me is, is, is the embodiment of what we're trying to achieve and being welcoming. Now there's absolutely nothing wrong with there being a very kind of stylistically focused brewery. I think it's a really cool and uh, distinct and unique experience. Um, but it may not necessarily feel super welcoming everybody and whether that's a list of 12 different hazy beers or a <laughs> list of 12 different um hyper historically accurate franconian lagers it's it's just it's awesome yeah but it's not it's not for anybody and everybody if you want to come come with a diverse group of people with experiences that span in a huge range it's going to be a little limiting. So at the same time, you know, you, the concern is you can't be everything to everybody, um, which is true. So we, there's always going to be a limitation. Those, those limitations are largely um, a reflection of what makes um, what the reality is of the volumes of the kinds of people that are coming in for certain styles of beer. So we, we only have certain kinds of equipment and certain only so many hours in the day um, to produce beers that 
we can't lose money on because we're still a business. We're not a nonprofit here. So we gotta, we still have to be able to make money so that there is limit. There are limitations there. Um, but we're, we're always trying to find and strike that balance to be that reflection of what the community wants for us. Now, people will think of Trillium as um, probably our, uh, you know, if you want to call them our loudest beers, but I think we're equally, equally proud as some of our um, kind of more, more subtle and distinctive beers that we've made. Um, and, and I, and I do think that there's, there is going to be a pendulum swing. There already is a pendulum swing back towards those styles of beers, which everybody is super stoked on. Doesn't mean that the, the, the variety and range of beers that we're going to be making is going to lessen, um, or necessarily increase over time. It's just going to be, um, it's going to follow that evolution of what the craft beer drinker is looking for. You brought up something interesting in my mind though, of when I think about the restaurant, when I think about Four Point, um, it was going beyond beer, right? You had a you had a full bar there. The last time I visited, if I'm remembering correctly. Nope, no, we still we was still it, have. Uh, or was uh, there was it just wine? It's wine and beer. Yeah. Okay. So sorry. We don't, yeah, we don't yet have um, the distillery online. Sorry. Um, so, in the <laughs> wine sense, though, have you been able to? You know, there, there's always this, you know, how do you get wine drinkers to drink more beer? Um, were you able with your wine selection there to have beer drinkers try different wines? Um, I mean, so people, people are, you know, by and large coming to Trillium uh, because we, we were founded as and still are known very much as a brewery. Um, so you know, are, are we able to, I don't, I don't want to say like, you know, transition people to wine. It's, we certainly are happy to offer, but we're not necessarily trying to kind of suggest wine over beer. Um, we, we, because we are operating two restaurants, we certainly will make suggestions if people are asking for them, or if there's just something that we have on the menu, um, a special or, or, or one of our regularly available dishes that really does, um, best with a glass of wine, then we, we certainly will suggest that. Um, I think that we, we typically will see far more customers that are excited to try something, which is such an incredible opportunity for us, both on the culinary side, as well as on the beverage side. So I think that people are stoked to get a suggestion from us. So it's more about um, making sure that our hospitality program and our culinary program and our bar managers are very well aligned with um, uh, understanding what that is. We're not, we're not trying to uh, do anything beyond just make something the best experience for, for the individual and trying to understand them a little bit before we can make those kinds of suggestions. Um, does hard seltzer fit into the culinary aspect of any of this? For sure. Yeah. I mean, the way, the way that we make them, I think, I think that rightfully so hard seltzer gets, um, gets a, a grimace from, from, uh, beverage enthusiasts yeah. because in, you know, how it first came, came through, um, with quote unquote natural flavors, they're just, they just taste like you're licking a freaking air freshener. They're awful, <laughs> awful things. I don't know if I've ever actually done that, but I, well, I you understand can imagine what you're it, saying. Right? Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> because that's yeah, for research yeah we yeah, all yeah. went out we all went down to the car wash 
Everybody yeah. picked out their favorite flavor. Yeah. Oh my God. It's, 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 it's truly offensive to me personally. Now I know, I know people who really love those things and it's Word kinda, choice. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's kind of like what you grew up on. So Dunkin' Donuts makes um, French vanilla and hazelnut coffee. And God damn it, if, if real vanilla and real hazelnut taste nothing like those things. Right. But if you grew up with it, then maybe you've got an affinity for it. And they just personally, I just find them very, really difficult. So when, you, like so when you set out with Soak then, you wanted to make it not that you wanted to to have some some authenticity behind it yeah i mean it's i mean it's it was a pretty it wasn't exactly like this uh uh you know wasn't like an einstein moment and so it's like oh instead of using fake flavorings just like we don't use those in our beers why don't we use real ingredient so if we can use real pineapple or, or real uh cranberry then then if we can figure out how to make that taste and smell and have the right texture and, and then that's, that's a viable thing. So we set, set off on, on a almost two year process to develop, develop that. Um, and it took, it really did take us that long. Um, we probably were doing pilot batches three, four times a month in order to get everything down to, to where we felt really good and really confident that we had something that was, um, up, up to our, our own expectations, uh, to share with, with folks. There's been the conversations of seltzer waning a bit or consolidating just among the larger players with the, with the smaller players, uh, you know, smaller producers, uh, not having, you know, uh, quite the market share. Um, do, do you see longevity? In, I don't, at least I, what I, you're making. Yeah, it's super hard for me to like really understand. I'm not like following IRI, IRI data or anything like that, so I don't really know, you know, if Bud Light Seltzer is up or down or hitting expectations. I thought I saw something in the news about um, Sam Adams, you know, dumping a whole bunch of Truly because it's out of you know date code or whatever. Yeah, uh, I we don't see that sort of stuff. We kind of are we're more closely managing our production, and we do have obviously have volume projections. So. Um, but we're only a year or so into it. So our projections are only as good as our most recent sales are, which are pretty, pretty good. It's standard. I mean, set, uh, not standard. They're, they're really steady. So, um, and of course are seasonal as well. So, um, I, it's hard for me to know or comment on what the future of this is. I do know that, um, it's, it's just another thing that people are going to expect to be there. And it really is the, the perfect beverage for the, for the, for a specific situation. So, um, I, I, I like them, the ones that we make, I think they're really good. And I think, uh, on, you know, you're sitting out on our patio and the sun is blazing down and you just want a mango seltzer and it's yeah. really good. And there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, Which is kind of funny to like to have to say that though, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like that, that weird hubris of the craft brewing industry to say what we do is the right thing and anything that falls outside of it isn't good. It's, that's such a strange mindset to me. And, and to have to qualify a statement like that is it's man, it's uh, hopefully we get past that um, as a, as a group and as a community soon. Okay. <laughs> 
I don't disagree with you. It's I, I mean, I, I was a naysayer on some of it, you know, early on, but you know, sometimes there is a right there. I mean, there's a right situation for, for everything. And there's a, 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 a right style um, or you know, whatever for, you know, the, 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 for, for the right moment. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we had like a company, a company party, you know, I don't know, three or four years ago. And um, we were kind of, we were touring the team around the, our, the new farm in, in North Stonington. And of course we had a bunch of Chilean beer there, but then we had like, you know, we we're doing a tour and we were like made it, made it out to the certain point in the field. And, and in the back of the truck was, you know, a bunch of coolers filled with um, uh, MGD. And okay. I, everybody was like what the hell is this and it was like well just have one <laughs> and you're standing out there in the sun and the and and the wind is blowing through the through the fields and everybody's just clinking their, their the bottles and it was this cool moment you know it was like the 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 right beer for the right moment in time and it felt really celebratory at the time i mean it sounds like there's an opportunity there for an mgd style Trillium lager to be consumed at the, at the farm. Yeah. I mean, we, we already, um, so it's really cool. We've, we've, um, now been in our second season at the farm. We've, mm-hmm. we've, we've done pilot plots of these heritage, uh, heritage varieties of dent corn. So we've started making, uh, corn lagers. Um, but we're doing it in a way that has this, um, it's much more intentional than just trying to make the beers as cheap and as light as possible. You know, it's, it's actually far more expensive for us to, to produce this way, of course. Yeah. Um, but we can also balance <laughs> intentional flavor and, and, um, and, you know, balancing out the, the rest of the grist to, to kind of work with that, that grain. So it's a very exciting, um, uh, moment for us and tons of learning is happening both on the agronomics side as well as uh, in the brewing and kind of uh, sensory perception side and recipe formulation so it's that's the stuff that gets really really exciting to me would that beer taste better out of a bottle yeah man if we <laughs> get one of those kind of like those slim neck um uh clear glass that we get uh, our quality manager is definitely going to say put that in a big cardboard box yeah. but <laughs> More in a minute, but first, thanks to the companies that support Drink Beer, Think Beer. This dry January, party on all month long with Athletic Brewing Company's great-tasting non-alcoholic craft beer. Order yours at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. Plus, new customers get 10% off with code BEEREDGE10. And NZ Hops a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years to produce some of the world's finest hops. NZ hops are like no others, unique in their flavors and aromas. Visit nzhops.co.nz to explore more. Now, back to the conversation. What else is going on at the farm these days? Uh, so we're, we're kind of slowly taking intentional steps towards the agricultural master plan there. So it's 163 acres of, of which maybe there's about, um, 80, 80 acres of, of, of cropland. Um, so kind of taking, taking land that was either hayed 
or uh, rotated in with corn um, back to a state of healthy soil is a very time a time intensive and, and labor intensive task. So using using regenerative agricultural practices with cover crops, um, minimal or, or no disturbance practices to to make sure that the the soil integrity and the soil ecology has a chance to recover before we start producing. Um, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's an entire discipline. Um, so starting small and taking, taking those in, super intentional steps to, to develop a, ref, a reflection of, of, uh, of Trillium's goals and intention is, um, is underway. And that involves a, a pretty, a pretty complex, uh, multi, uh, multi-production system paradigm uh, that starts with um, starts with livestock through small grains, uh, rotational grazing, kind of windbreaks that have productive uh, protect, protective uh, windbreaks, and um, with orchard production and perennial vegetables. And it's it's a well, I can't wait to show you one day, John. It's it's a pretty cool master plan. <laughs> no, I'd like to. I'd, I'd certainly like to know more about it. Um, yeah, the, the the intention is for it to to serve as, and it's too, it's far too small for what Trillium itself and alone would actually consume. Um, but it's to serve as a, as a learning basis for us to understand how can we, how can we, uh, how can we grow ingredient in a, in a respectful and regenerative way on the farm that also yields the, the best quality, best possible quality ingredient in a, in a more closed Trillium ecosystem kind of way. Since you've been growing there and since you've been walking the land and, you know, thinking about, you know, what you were just saying, you know, regenerative growth and um, quality ingredients, do, do you think even though your beers, the beers that you're making right now aren't uh, benefiting from everything that's coming off of the farm just yet, um, do you think your beers have changed since you've been more involved in the farm? Are you thinking about your beers in a different way? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that I'm I'm thinking about them in a different way. I think um, it's the same the same kind of concept and values are are still in place. It's just things are becoming more and more coming into focus, and it's more about learning about what the the land and the farm is going to be able to offer, um, and how do we how do we integrate that and how do we transition that into how we operate it's it's really it's really sort of like a product you know farm production logistics kind of question and then how do we weave that into what we're already doing um and our where are the best places and opportunities for us to highlight that so that it's um i don't want to say obvious but more more perceivable to to folks that are enjoying what we're doing all right, I have three bottles on my desk uh, right now as I'm talking to you, and the the common word among all three in these uh, very nice, beautiful green glass, uh, what are these, 500 milliliter? Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, is the word is habitat, and there's a, a beautiful picture of a farm uh, painting-esque on the front. Uh, these beers have been out for a few weeks now, um, but we haven't talked about them on this show, so... For those unfamiliar, what's the quick introduction to Habitat? Uh, Habitat is our 
our series of spontaneously fermented um, New England uh, New England ales. So we effectively followed the the traditional production method of of spontaneous or lambic lambic beers. You'll you'll notice that there's no mention of or use of the word uh, lambic or goose no. anywhere and uh, anywhere. Are you um, part of that I, method traditional team? I, I wish to God that there was um, an official agreed upon uh, and, and uh, you know, sign of the cross blessed <laughs> moniker from, from um, uh, that we're able to kind of put in place, but it just, it, it did not, it did not pass muster with, um, with the folks where, who kind of currently hold the torch in Belgium. So, and that's, and that I understand why that is. I wish you know, just like we all kind of wish that it was a little bit more of uh, linking of arms and everybody sings Kumbaya and all that. But I, you know, I'm also an adult here and I understand why that didn't come to pass. Um, ultimately, it becomes much more difficult for us to, um, as an industry, communicate more broadly to not not just the enthusiasts, which probably already know what these are. It's it's the, it's the it's the next level of folks who are uh, more you're going to be introduced to this, this kind of beer, um, in our community. So it becomes a little bit more difficult for them to, to fully understand that if there isn't a common thread across multiple producers. Anyway, that's a long way of saying yes, that. Yeah. It's a long way of saying that these are traditionally produced. We use hundred uh, percent locally grown and malted, um, barley from our friends at Valley malt and raw wheat in roughly 60%, 40% proportions. Um, traditional turbid mash, extended boil, aged hops. Aged, the aged hops thing is a, is a, is a funny thing. At, at some point, the, the, um, the kind of with the new, the relative explosion of spontaneous production by American breweries, the aged hop inventory at the various providers got just totally snapped up and there was nothing that you could just buy off the shelf as being aged hop. So um, I did find a producer in, um, uh, sorry, the Charles Farham group in the UK, they did some research for me and they found a whole bunch of bales in the back of a continental hop grower in Slovenia. And they were willing to have them shipped and then uh, uh, processed into pellets and then and then shipped on uh, on to us. So, so we've got I don't know about eight or nine pallets of eight nine year old uh, Slovenian continental hops um, sitting in our in our warehouse right now, and they are very very elegant, really really interesting, um, very delicate aged hops, and delicate in a way that they're not ultra pungent, kind of like stinky cheese and that they're more, they lean, ask, more yeah. Yeah, they lean more towards um um well i guess it's best if you actually uh try the beer because the the i i did not know this until we started producing because none of the books really talk about the, about it this way and in in my discussions with a handful of spontaneous and lambic producers they they really don't didn't get into the to the degree that how to the degree that the, the hops actually will make up um, I don't want to say the lion's share of the aroma and flavor of spontaneous beers, but it is not insignificant. It is a very, very large part of uh, the perception of, the, of these kinds of beers. When you first started thinking about making these beers then, uh, all those years ago, um, was it 
did you have a particular hop in mind? I mean, what, what you're saying is, you know, you're, you're having, you know, aged Slovenian hops. Like, was that part of the plan or was it just any old age hop? Was there? Yes. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I think, I think that, you know, when I, when I envisioned it, it, it certainly was using, um, you know, buying bales of, of continental low alpha, um, uh, land race varieties of hops, putting them up into a hayloft somewhere, and then coming back five, six, seven years later to have, um, to have them to use. Now, um, that while that certainly is the mo- most romantic notion about how to pursue it, yeah. it is not entirely necessary. Now we do, obviously these are really interesting continental varieties that we have and they are beautiful. And actually through this process, um, very uniform. And because they're not, they're now in nitrogen mylar pack bags, they are going to be very uniform and consistent for us, uh, for the next however many years. So that's a very exciting thing for me. Maybe it doesn't um, check the box for a lot of people from the, from the romance notion, but, um, I've, I've learned in our nine ish years here of operating that, um, it's actually best to put, put aside some of our, um, notions of what romance what the best romantic step or or thing could be because it might be preventing you from making better beer can you go a little bit deeper on that because that that's fascinating to me because there there is a lot of talk about romance especially when it comes to spontaneous and i do you think it gets in the way of actually just enjoying the beer yeah for sure <laughs> well, what, you know, depending on how you're producing it versus how you're enjoying it. Um, I think one of the things that really, I don't, I don't want to say scares me or like, I really don't want, um, I don't want to feel like we have to stop making these because nobody is buying them. And there is, again, we, you're, you're a craft beer enthusiast to, to a pretty high, high degree. Mm-hmm. So your, your enthusiasm for a certain style of beer, maybe uh, rock beer might be a good example. You know, you, you, how much you love it is not necessarily a reflection of how much the rest of the world loves it. Sure. So if you, you can't, you, you got to be very realistic in your understanding of what the rest of the world, um, what they're, where, where they are today and where they're going to be in several years. But if you, if you are blinded by your own passion for something and you just kind of charge down the road, um, because you love it, then you're probably, you, you're very much at risk of going down the wrong road. There's also though, as much as I am a fan, you know, I, I feel like I can also be walking into things with a critical eye and, you know, you hear a lot of buzzwords and you can get really excited by it. You know, like you, you hear spontaneous or port barrels or, you know, and if you know that a brewery knows what they're doing, there's a certain level of expectation. Um, but then there can also be disappointment, you know, that, that, that comes with it as well. Yeah. Um, who did you make these beers for? Uh, we we always make beers for our customers first and then ourselves because if we're not doing both, then somebody's going to miss out. And that is not to say that that's a compromise. Um, that is that, that's an important integrity that we always need to follow. Um, if like I said, if we were only making beers for ourselves, then you need to be a home brewer. Do these beers? 
where do these beers fit into that customer diagram that we were talking about early on? Like for you know the folks who line up for your hazy cans or pastry stouts or or, or things like that. Like, are they even going to pay attention to this? Did they pay yeah, attention so, to this? Yeah, I think what's really what's really important is to make sure you've got the the understanding that um, I mean, John, I, I don't know what your what your craft beer trajectory has been or, or yeah. where it's going. Um, but we're, it's never a static thing. Um, you know, beers that you just absolutely fell in love with and we're just can't imagine a beer being better than what it was six or seven or eight years ago is probably a different thing today. So somebody who, um, who just found out about it or just is trying them for the first time, um, may really, really, really love hazy beer. And then three, four years from now, they are maybe tired of them and starting to, uh, explore, um, uh, traditional, uh, saisons or, or something in the, in the lager world or British cast beer, you know, not me, be, me being who I am and kind of in the city that I grew up in, yeah. I really still love all beer. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's like an annoying answer for a lot of people when they ask me what my favorite kinds of beers are. Uh, and I well, apologize. It's, it's situational. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's, yeah. I think that's uh, a smart answer though. Yeah. It's, well, it's, it's, a or it's real an enlightened answer. Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's, it's a real one too. It's not, it's, it's, it's not posturing for whoever the audience might be. Um, it's, it's, uh, and, and I also realize my personal preferences are going to continue to evolve and change and they may narrow, they may widen, um, or they just may become, um, more, because of my access to beer, which is kind of ridiculous, uh, it may become more preferred situational. Like I'll be upset if I don't have access to these kinds of spontaneous beers in the future. Um, so that would kind of getting back to that point of, you know, who did, who did we brew these beers for? Um, there's, there's a, there's a number of people, um, in the, in the local Boston community that absolutely love spontaneous beers, but, the price point and access is pretty limited and that's, this is, this is really for them. There's not a lot of those people, yeah. <laughs> but that, that will, that hopefully will change and grow. Um, and I think that there's a lot of people who, who love these beers and they don't even know that because they've never tried them before. Yeah. So we're going to be able to introduce this style of beer to a lot of people. And we take that very seriously. And I, I think it's an important, it's important concept that we aren't just saying, or we're going to make these beers, and we're going to make them for this kind of customer that already loves them. And that's fine. I think that is, um, that is, a uh, it's kind of like a, a thinking that the, the craft beer customer themselves, uh, is a, is a static thing. And it is absolutely not. And, and it sounds to me though, if you're going to do a beer like this, it's not enough to just be good enough. <laughs> Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, you're, you're being compared against, uh, hundreds of years of tradition. That's no small task and that's not somebody to be taken lightly. So quite a lot of this went down the drain, unfortunately, it's super painful, but it's all chalked up to the learning experience of what it even means to start, start this process. Is this something breaking breaking tons and tons of rules as to what, what this is supposed to be, even though we're, we are following traditional practices, we are racking into, um, into 500 and 600 liter punchins for primary fermentation. Um, and we're learning about what is possible with, um, earlier versus later blending prior to packaging. 
I think there's a lot to be um, a lot to be developed there, and it's super exciting for us to develop um, a more complex, more consistent, spontaneous beer that uh, hopefully has has better longevity once it actually is packaged as well. Is this something you're planning on releasing again later on in 2022? Yeah, we're, we're hope, hopefully going to be able to, just as we're obviously um, uh, work production for spontaneous beer is a seasonal thing. We're we're gonna um, we're gonna look to do a seasonal packaging and a seasonal release as well. Okay. Have you fired up the uh, the cool ship so far this year? It's scheduled for for this week, and it's always weather depending. So this like. These, this crazy whiplash of oh it, it's two degrees Fahrenheit oh now it's fifty degrees Fahrenheit is not ideal. We did find um, through our first few years that uh, mid to late winter spontaneous production is much much better than early early winter late fall, and that probably has something to do with uh, reducing the, the the number and types of microbes that we don't want. Um, moreover than encouraging the the types that we do want um, to start out with primary fermentation. I love that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I've been asking folks uh, on the show for the last little bit. Uh, I've been prefacing it by saying uh, uh, my wife and I were watching, uh, rewatching the good place. And there's a, <laughs> a scene in the last, you know, in the, in the last season uh, where you can walk through a green door and be, anywhere at any time with anybody that you want. And so um, if such a thing existed on this plane of existence and you could end this conversation and go walking through a green door into a brewery, into a pub, um, where would you go and who would you be with? So I think that um, in the, in, in my 45 years now, I've, I've met a number of folks, both in the, in the craft beer world and, uh, and, you know, kind of recognizable figures outside of it as well. And the, the feeling that I've got something to learn from others has largely been displaced with, um, the need to be more introspective and learn for myself. So that being said, I would go back to 2012, the year before we opened Trillium with Esther and our son, Luke, because Elena hadn't been born yet. Um, I'd go back to the public house because we used to live just down the street from the public house in Brookline, um, sitting at our usual table just inside the front door to the right. And I'd probably be coaching myself a little bit about what was to come. I spent the first three or so years um, opening, starting, growing Trillium in an, in an extraordinarily stressed out mind state. And that really, and I, and I talked to lots of new, new brewery owners about this. Um, and sure, it was fun and it was enjoyable and it was really cool and exciting, but I... I was probably not super enjoyable to be around in a lot of cases because I was so serious and so stressed out and so um, I was so consumed by it that I don't know why, but it always felt like it was on on a uh, but probably because I was living my life on, on like a on just like right on the edge. 
demanding so much of myself, which was not possible. It's not sustainable at all. And it, a lot of those things kind of feed into how we make decisions and how, you know, how looking forward, how do we want the rest of my life to be? Um, so I'm not entirely sad that, that we did go through that. It was, it was a very difficult, painful few years and nobody ever really saw or heard much about that except for myself and my family. So, um, and my, some of my friends. So I would, I'd, I'd spend a lot of time talking to myself about how to deal with that, how to, um, how to be a little bit more gentle with myself so that I could be a better person for others. Sorry if that was way more heavy than we should. No, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm, it's, it's important to be thinking about. And it's, you know, there's a lot of folks who um, are embarking on launching a business or, yeah. you know, just um, even just living through the last two years of the stress and the worry and the, no, talking about this stuff is, is these issues are really important and bringing them up and showing that, um, folks aren't alone is is really important so thanks for thanks for bringing that up that's it's, yeah, it's, any, it's a good reminder any chance that i get to talk to um talk to a new business owner or a new brewery you know that's getting going and uh, understanding where they're at it's it's a pretty much a common thread about they're they are all kind of living to some degree in that space of just being completely overwhelmed um not sleeping at night um, stressing about are they doing their best for their team, for their, uh, for their customers? And is, is this all going somewhere or am I going to just crash and burn? Um, and that's, that's a lot to take on, but you know, if, particularly if you've never done it before, um, that's, it's, it's a lot. And I yeah. think people will pretty much everybody just puts on a brave face or just says, I'll just work harder. Or I'll sleep less. I'll, you know, do whatever needs, needs to happen. Um, and that is how, how, you know, by and large, how businesses get going. Um, but having a plan to get out of that at some point is very important because you can, you know, you can sprint for a little while, but you're not sprinting forever. Yeah. Um, and you're going to, you're going to be, you're going to trade something for that, uh, that kind of intense energy, um, either in the short term or in the long term. So you do need to make a decision. You can't just say, this is how it is. That's, uh, that's just burying your head in the sand. It's a terrible, terrible plan. Baron's great now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. I get to see my kid. I, you know, I'm with my kids and family every night. I am not, um, you know, I'm not getting up at four in the morning and going into work for three hours before starting my day. Like I yeah. used to, I'm not, um, you know, not coming home from a work trip from going to, going to Sao Paulo for 18 hours, then flying back and then trying to pretend like it didn't happen. Right. Good. Yep. All right. Everything's terrific. Yeah. And you got a farm. I really am. Like, like I said, I'm living, I'm, it's like, I have to come up with a new set of, of dreams because I'm doing all the things that I dreamed and imagined and hoped would be possible in my lifetime. So, um, and it's really, it's not like, it's really just getting more detailed with what the dream is and understanding what it actually is. It, it was some kind of fanciful sort of thing. And now, now the reality of it is sinking in it, and obviously owning and operating a farm is extraordinarily difficult work. Yeah. But I enjoy it, that. It, good. Well, I'm going to let you get back to it then. 
Yeah, and, and I'll say thanks for being on the show. Thank you, John. Good to talk to you, man. What release were you most excited for last year? Or what release are you anticipating this year? Let me know. You can email me. It's John Hall, J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at BeerEdge.com, or you can reach out on social media. I'm on Twitter at John underscore Hall. Beer Edge is also on all of the social medias at The Beer Edge. A reminder to join the Smoked Beer Conversation with other enthusiasts on the This Week in Rauk Beer Facebook page or on Twitter and Instagram at TWRaukBeer. And if you're a brewery or a company that wants to support the show and bring original content to the airwaves, you can help us out through advertising by reaching out to Liz Melby. She's at Liz at BeerEdge.com. And speaking of that, thanks to the companies who help keep us on the air. This dry January, party on all month long with Athletic Brewing Company's great tasting non-alcoholic craft beer. Their full lineup of craft styles lets you drink up and stay dry while keeping things fresh. And with brews starting at only 50 calories, you can stick to your resolutions all while saying cheers. Join the party at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. Plus, new customers can get 10% off with code BEEREDGE10. We're also brought to you by NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. With a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations, the current day master growers proudly provide 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd to learn more. Final reminder, check out the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch. New episodes come out weekly. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast drops on the 15th of every month. Back here, Nate Schweber performs our theme music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.